Today on the DML News Podcast, we're going to talk about the Iowa caucus results. Pretty fascinating stuff. Trump with a big lead, and we'll talk about where the other candidates land. But it's a lot that we're going to have to go through in a short amount of time. But it's all unfiltered. Dennis Michael Lynch gives you his word, and he will never let you down. He will always fight for America. The only one who really puts his money where his mouth is is Dennis Michael Lynch. Everyone, it's Denny here today, just filling in solo, and I'll actually have Ryan coming in in a few minutes. And uh, yeah, just kind of like I said in that intro, we're going to talk deep and heavy about the Iowa caucus. And if you're can, if you watching right now, you'll see that there are four candidates behind me, Trump, Haley, DeSantis, and Vivek. We're going to talk about each and every one of them and how they did in the caucus with the results last night. Uh, but I think it's probably best to start off with the man that came in first place, and the man that came in last place. We'll start with Trump. If you were watching last night or heard this morning, then you know that he sweeped away in Iowa with a huge commanding victory. In fact, if we're looking at the results here based on the actual delegate count, uh, he won 51% of the vote. I mean, that is unheard of when it comes to the Iowa caucus. That is a commanding lead. In fact, Ryan and I were watching it last night as the results were coming in, and I think it was about the 25-minute, almost 30-minute mark where they finally announced that based on what they were already counting, Trump won with an astounding lead. Uh, My gosh, it would be nice to live in a world where uh, our vote count comes in that fast, Uh, but there's no doubt that uh, Iowa is always the first stage of the race actually beginning for when it comes to the general election. Um, They're notable for always kind of setting the precedent of how the year is going to play out. And unquestionably, with how everyone predicted it was going to go, uh, Trump is the clear winner and leader in this race right now. So here is a little clip uh, of the end of his victory speech last night. He's got his sons behind him, Kimberly Guilfoyle as well. And uh, it's basically, I would say, a good victory speech in terms of trying to get some unity. He even gives... Uh, prior to his closing statements, a um, you know thankful nod to DeSantis and Haley, who he's been up against. But here's a small clip that Ryan will play for you towards the end of his speech. And uh, to all of the people standing behind me and all of the people in this room and so many great politicians and great dignitaries and friends, I just want to thank you all. This is a very special night. And this is the first because the big night is going to be in November when we take back our country and truly we do make our country great again. Thank you very much, everybody. Great honor. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, what's funny, like I said, it was not a very divisive speech. It was almost a unifying speech. His whole theme was, all right, let's get Biden out of here. Let's try to unite this country back on track because we really are skating on thin ice and we really need to make some headway here. Uh, Again, I just found his victory speech to be uh, very copacetic to how everyone's feeling in terms of let's get the Republicans out in front. But uh, as we all know, there are people out there who will disagree and Most of the time, it comes from the mainstream media sources. Prime example is Rachel Maddow. Uh, As CNN and MSNBC continue to do anytime Trump talks, they decide it's not worthy of the viewer's attention, which, again, is absolutely bananas. I 
would almost be remiss to say it's a little uh, playing on the disinformation card. I mean, this was a previous president, and you're choosing not to um, you know, broadcast this victory speech of the first caucus. Uh, Ryan's going to play that clip for you, too, from Rachel Maddow last night. Let me just interject. Sorry. I'm sorry. I just have to do a little bit no. of business just for a second. Um, at this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, we will keep an eye on that as it happens. Uh, we will let you know if there's any news made in that speech, if there's anything noteworthy, something substantive and important. Um, the reason I'm saying this is... Of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish. It is a decision that we regularly revisit. Um, and honestly, earnestly, it is not an easy decision. But there is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. That is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. And so his remarks tonight will not air here live. We will monitor them um, and let you know about any news that he makes. Steph, I interrupt you. She can try to spin it as much as she wants, but truthfully, it is just outright ridiculous that you're not going to even give a glimpse into his speech. There was nothing regarding disinformation. If anything, this has to be the clearest cut uh, output of votes being counted efficiently and being you know demonstrated as okay this is legit we have a man here who is a legitimate candidate despite everything that's being thrown at him and uh, you know we're falling for the same talking points of he is a source of disinformation we can't play him he is a corrupt man we can't play him he is a man that is dangerous for the country we can't play him it, it's funny because when you hear that coming from her mouth I feel like I was in the twilight zone of 2015, 2016, when they were refusing to try and give him any airtime unless it was to bash him. So, you know, no surprise there from someone like Rachel Maddow. I'm kind of thankful knowing that if you're listening to me right now, you probably didn't watch Rachel Maddow, and that's the first time you're hearing that clip. So there's nothing surprising there. I would actually probably say the most, maybe not necessarily surprising, but definitely the most forward, uh, exciting thing to come out of last night is the man that came in last place out of the four that are behind me right now, which was Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, if you look at his placing, he only racked up se- about 7% in the delegate count for Iowa. Uh, we kind of knew going ahead of time that he you know, wasn't really going to make any big headway. In fact, and Fox News is a little bit included on this, a lot of those mainstream media outlets really tried to taper down his presence He even went to Twitter and X to call them out on it and kind of just made it seem like he was irrelevant in the race altogether. They may have had a point. I didn't really think Vivek was ever going to come out with a commanding lead. However, he did do something last night that I think is going to be pretty intelligent going forward. And I even ran a poll on it, and I'll probably pull up the results before we play uh, his speech clip. But he withdrew from the race, obviously. Uh, Iowa kind of usually sets that stage for who's going to make it and who's not. But he withdrew and gave his full support and endorsement to Donald Trump. And we're going to play that clip for you right now. As of this moment, we are going to suspend this presidential campaign. And this is going to have to be. There is no path for me to be the next president absent things that we don't want to see happen in this country. And I think that I am very worried for our country. 
I think we are skating on thin ice as a nation. We have done everything in our part to make and done. Every one of us in this room has done our part to save this country. And I am so proud of every one of you who have lifted us up, but we're a campaign founded on the truth. And so that's why we've made that decision today. And I'm also making the decision that this has to be an America first candidate in that White House. As I've said since the beginning, there are two America first candidates in this race. And earlier tonight, I called Donald Trump to tell him that I congratulated him on his victory. And now going forward, he will have my full endorsement for the presidency. And I think we're going to do the right thing for this country. Right. So Vivek's out. But the question becomes, how much is he going to be involved now with the Trump campaign if he's heading to New Hampshire to go basically uh, basically endorse and support and rally for him? And as he mentions there in that in that whole speech, he views this entire race as basically two America first candidates. He's one of those two. And now he's out. So the other one is Donald Trump. I had ran a poll earlier today uh, following that announcement asking our readership if they would want to see Vivek have a prominent role in a potential Trump administration. Based on those results, and we actually got uh, well over a 1,000 at the time of this recording, uh, 68% of you said yes, about 19% of you said no, and then around 12% of you were unsure. And again, this is just going based off the idea, if Trump were to win a second term and come on back, would you want to see Vivek in, I mean, I think the VP position is a little too outstretched there, but maybe something as press secretary, labor secretary, or some other kind of major role. So with that being said, Ryan, I want to bring you in real quick, because uh, we were watching it a little bit last night while also watching the Eagles-Chiefs game, uh, which Chiefs, I mean, uh, Eagles-Buccaneers uh, game, which the Bucs didn't do so well. But regarding Vivek, um, what are your thoughts now that Vivek's out of the race and then he's kind of teaming up with Trump to maybe make this powerhouse uh, dynamo? Uh, I mean, this move from Vivek, I mean, we could we saw this coming months ago. I mean, his whole thing was to ride the coattails of Donald Trump and to just get his popularity through Donald Trump in that messaging. So I'm not surprised that Vivek uh, dropped out. I don't really think he brings anything to the table. For uh, Trump, I mean, I'm not gonna, he's Indian, and you know, Dad has said it. You know, the country's not ready for that. And um, another aspect is, you know, he got seven percent of the vote in the Iowa caucus. I mean, that doesn't really translate big to Trump. Like, say, if DeSantis dropped out and endorsed him. So, I mean, this move I just see as Vivek trying to get a seat, like you said, like Department of Education, etc. I don't really think it's that big. I don't think he has that big of a following. I just think he's going to be a great talking piece for Trump going forward. I definitely agree with you there. And I mean, that's a, that would be an interesting role, Department of Education, considering he's actually talked about eliminating that and then doing a, a reformation. Um, really quick, before we move on to the other candidates, do you think Vivek may be able to pull some sway from his potential voter base that we're all, oh, we're going Vivek, but now joining the Trump train. I mean, Trump doesn't really need it, but maybe it would be kind of just a, another leg up to just gain more support. Or do you think people who followed Vivek may actually go a different route? 
I don't. I think people that follow Vivek will ultimately go over to Trump. I don't think they're going to go over to DeSantis or Haley. Um, I do like Vivek. I think he has good ideas, so I wouldn't mind seeing him on a board like Department of Education, or et cetera. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Trump's a powerhouse, and Vivek is kind of just a you know small piece, part of his whole, um, under his whole umbrella. And I think Vivek's really good at media and getting that attention. It has good sound bites that could travel through social media. And if now it's directed not for his own support, but for Trump's support, I think it's just going to add another level of, you know, uh, just another level of, you know, uh, the America first. Yeah. Look. America yeah. first. Just, well, I was going to say to another your, level of messaging. For yeah. Trump. Yeah. Well, to, to your point, I mean, Vivek really only became a big name because of this race. He never really had any kind of presence before 2024 kind of kicked up. So I, I think you got a good point there. I mean, Trump is the powerhouse. Vivek is more of just going to be the, the tail end there, by the way, very delicious smoothie today. Um, I think it was banana, strawberry, and blueberry. Was there anything else you threw in this one? Uh, I will always throw in uh, almond milk. Yeah. And I know you like yogurt, so I do a little Greek yogurt. That, okay, because I was going to say it's more of like a viscous yeah. kind of uh, texture today, but it's very good. Thank you, Ryan. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I'm kind of in agreement there. I think Vivek may bring over a little bit, but even if he didn't bring over a single soul, I don't think Trump obviously needs it considering how well he literally just did in Iowa. Again, like, can't really underscore enough how insane his garnering of those votes are. You don't really see that much in the caucus. He didn't even really do that around his 2016 when uh, when he first ran. So this is kind of a strong awareness of what he's about to bring for 2024. I saw that um, he won 98 out of the 99 counties in Iowa. Yes, yeah, 98 out yeah, of the 99, 99 counties. That's That's crazy. And and what when you think about it, I mean, you got to look at everyone's campaign strategy because we'll get into uh, DeSantis towards the tail end. But you know, he went to every single county. Haley made some appearances, but you know, Trump, uh, you know, he's been divvying up his campaign with half campaigning, half dealing with lawsuits. You know, but uh, I think what benefits him obviously is that Iowa is aware of what he's done in the past. They've seen him campaign in the past. So I think it's just more of a recollection of we know what he's capable of doing. We don't need him to come doorstep to doorstep. I, I will say that one interesting um, thing I saw when we were watching Fox last night is that they did like a uh, their own polling. And I think a little over 50 percent of Iowans thought that the 2020 election was, you know, not illegitimate. Yes. So yeah. when you look at that, if they think that they're going to go with Trump, I think. Oh, totally. That's a great point because uh, that was actually a very not surprising, but definitely an eye-opening poll that came out about how much how many of them viewed the 2020 election to be uh, not what it was supposed to be. So you're right. That that's probably a big influence there, um, and that's why I kind of want to get into the other two uh, with Nikki. I'll start with Nikki Haley because out of the four of them, as I've stated before. Uh, she scares me, and one of the reasons too. Again, she came in third last night, so let's start with that. With her uh, procurement here, she got about 19% of the delicate vote for Iowa last night. Now, you know, that's not fantastic by any means. You know, she came in third. But here's a clip of her, vi or, or I was about to say victory speech. And I think the reason I almost said that is because the way she talked in her uh, post-caucus speech, it almost 
comes away of like she knows something that we don't because she uses the term that this is down to a two-person race, which is a very weird thing to say when you're coming in third. But if you look at the results, I mean, she wasn't too far from the second-place uh, spot. Uh, DeSantis only garnered 21%. But here's a little snippet of her speech last night where she kind of makes that comment. And even just the way of her demeanor is, it's again, it portrays that I know something that you guys aren't aware of just yet. So Ryan will play that clip. At one point in this campaign, there were 14 of us running. I was at 2% in the polls. But tonight, Iowa did what Iowa always does so well. The pundits will analyze the results from every angle. We get that. But when you look at how we're doing in New Hampshire, in South Carolina, and beyond, say tonight Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race yeah I, you know Nikki Haley like I said 19 percent of the vote she did not do as much hardcore campaigning in Iowa as DeSantis did and I've been seeing a lot a lot I should actually say specifically through Twitter X of pollings and posts just commenting even the simple question uh, who's a Nikki Haley fan? Anyone out here really like a diehard Nikki Haley fan? And everything I see reflects of no. So the question becomes, how is she getting so much money? And how is she portraying this image of support? I mean, Ryan and I saw last night, there was a guy interviewed on Fox, and he said that he was in the mix between supporting Haley or Trump. And the pundit was like, uh, those are two opposite people when it comes to the, their specific policies. Uh, you know, I wouldn't call Nikki Haley America first by any means. Uh, her, I think my least favorite position of hers is actually the trans position. She will not come out against it. Following that is that she is a pro-war neocon. I mean, she justifies every means to be in a war. It's a little uh, telling at this point. And you'll see some videos of where she like almost deflects from ask, uh, answering some major questions uh, when she's confronted by supporters or voters. So... It's coming to this point of people, I think, normal people, I should say, are picking up on the fact that, I should say, normal Republican people are picking up on the fact that she doesn't really share those views or policy points that we were hoping for. So now the question becomes, well, how is she garnering the support? Because she made the point that she was polling at 2%, and now she's getting into double-digit range that's still far behind Trump, but at the same time, you know, she's making headway. Well... I have some, you know, insight there. I think we got a lot of Democrat voters and donors, by the way. There's been admission to that that are coming behind her and supporting her. But then you kind of get dumb people. When I say dumb people, I mean like really dumb people, like Joy Reid, saying that it's a race matter that uh, that for the dislike of her. Uh, Ryan's going to play that, you know, clip right here, and then I'll give a little comment quick on that. New Hampshire. And I think to the point that you made, Steph, I mean, it's the elephant in the room. She's still a brown lady. 
that's got to try to win in a party that is deeply anti-immigrant and which accepts the notion that you can say immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country. She's getting, you know, birthered by Donald Trump. Um, and I don't care how much the donor class likes her, which will yeah. ramp up a lot, the better yeah. she does in New yes. Hampshire. So it's still a challenge. I don't see how she becomes the nominee of that party with Donald Trump still around. I can't picture it happening. Maybe it could happen. Ron DeSantis's only argument for staying in it is he's the white guy that he can still make the appeal to white people. While we have- I'm on the same boat with Ryan and, and what my father has said before with, you know, do I think America is ready for an Indian American president? I don't really think so. Uh, but that I don't believe is a reason why people wouldn't vote for Haley. I mean, I would still vote for Vivek if somehow he became the nominee. I just think it's more of a you know, um, identity issue or not issue. It's just more of an identity matter that does exist in a, uh, let's not forget, predominantly white Christian founded country. But the reason I would not vote for Haley is not because she's a woman or because she has an Indian background. Uh, I wouldn't vote for Haley because she is going to further bankrupt this country with just continuous into World War III matters. Uh, like I said, with the trans thing, she looks up to Hillary Clinton and yeah, she was the UN ambassador, which really just kind of means she's got insider knowledge when it comes to things with big organizations like WEF. So I don't trust her. And there's still so many questions as to why she's become a multimillionaire since she was ambassador. It is major concerns that I think she just kind of, you know, uh, vacuums over whenever that um, issue is brought up. So uh, I want to bring Ryan in real quick um, about this. But before we get more into about Haley, I want to touch on DeSantis, who I like to call uh, the fallen angel at this point, because, you know, I got to give him props. He campaigned hard for Iowa. I mean, he was out on the ground. Um, there was even a lady interviewed last night and she said there was one person who knocked on her door and it was the DeSantis team. So, you know, he really gave it his all. And yet, even though he got second place, he only squeaked by Nikki and he still, I mean, he got 21%. He is 30 points away from even coming close to Trump. So before me and Ryan kind of discuss it here, uh, here is a part of his speech last night where you can actually hear people uh, cheering for Ron as he's giving uh, his closing statements following the caucus. So Ryan's going to play that real quick. They threw everything but the kitchen sink at us. We love you too. They threw everything but the kitchen sink at us. They spent almost $50 million attacking us. No one's faced that much all the way just through Iowa. They, the media was against us. They were writing our obituary months ago. They even called the election before people even got a chance to vote. But they were just so excited about the fact that they were predicting uh, that we wouldn't be able uh, to get our ticket punched here out of Iowa. But I can tell you, because of your support, in spite of all of that that they threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. Now, Ryan, here's something I think you'll find interesting. Yes, DeSantis lost last night, but when you look at the demographic breakdown, you know where DeSantis actually did predominantly well? With Gen Z Republicans. 
So I'm just going to read you something real quick, and then I want to get your take on it. It's from Newsweek. Even though former President Donald Trump won the Iowa caucuses Monday night, a surprising number of Gen Z Republicans turned up in the state to vote for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Meanwhile, Trump took in more votes from millennials than any other Republican candidate. A CNN interest poll given to voters before they cast their ballots Monday night showed that 35% of voters aged between 17 to 29 voted for DeSantis. It's important to know that 17-year-olds can cast their vote in the Iowa caucuses provided they turn 18 before the general election. The poll showed that 41% of millennials aged 30 to 44 casted their ballots for Trump. So, Ryan, what do you make of that, the fact that people in our demographic, although it's funny because I consider myself more millennial than Gen Z, but basically in that age range, a lot came out for DeSantis last night. I think maybe it has to do something with the age. I think the younger you are, the more you want someone like JFK, young, in their prime. You know, there comes a point, especially like I know my buddies, we, you know, Trump obviously is old and he's still all together, but, you know, there's a difference between being old and wise than being, you know, in your 50s and being wise. You've lived through every event. I think that could happen, black swan-wise, economy-wise, everything by the time you're 50 60 or you're still up and about looking good i mean i know ron's younger but i think our generation like caters to that more like we want young blood right so you know i'm not surprised that our generation gen z is more or was more in support for ron DeSantis. um and then on that haley clip i was thinking uh i don't know why she would say that it's a two-person race I think if Ron DeSantis drops out, she's totally screwed. Because like you said, with that Iowan, who said between Haley and Trump, it makes no sense. Haley is like a Bush uh, rhino and Trump is, you know, the complete opposite of that. I think the two most total, the two candidates are the most similar is Ron DeSantis and Trump. So I would think if DeSantis dropped out, those votes would go to Trump, not Haley. So I don't know why she's sitting there being all excited and saying that's a two-person race, meaning that I think it might just be her and Trump. And DeSantis, when he drops out the 20%, I bet you 80% of that 20% is going to go to Trump. She's done. So, well, Yeah, you know, I mean, to your point, it, it, that's why I keep going back to, does she know something we don't? Because she, said, she says it with such confidence that it's either your, you know, classic politician confidence or is there just something that we're not completely aware of in these upcoming caucuses? I mean, New Hampshire's next week. I think South Carolina follows that, which is her home state. Uh, but to your point, yeah, it is far. I don't think it's a two person race. And yet that is kind of the canvas that she's trying to portray. And then with DeSantis, with the Gen Z, uh, I totally agree. I think he really does have that younger aspect. One theory that I saw, which I thought was interesting, is that, you know, right now it's 2024. But if you play it eight years back, that Gen Z demographic was even younger before they could vote. And in some of that demographic, um, They've also been in college, obviously, when COVID was happening in between that eight-year span, because COVID really happened about four years ago with the, uh, the, the peak point. During that time, and we've said it on the podcast, I think DeSantis' handling of COVID was one of the best in the state. And you, you actually experienced it being in college as a student and watching how that entire pandemic interrupted your education experience. Uh, and, and that was across the country with a bunch of schools, depending on how severe the level was for them. 
So I think maybe with the Gen Z category there, they saw how he handled it. And to your point, it's the young blood aspect and the we were too young to really maybe understand how Trump went or ran things. But now we kind of see what DeSantis's uh, strategy was, especially with COVID. He should be the candidate, whereas maybe with Trump winning those millennials, uh, millennials were still kind of active, I would say, into a society life where they saw the benefits of a Trump presidency. And I, I think it really comes back to people just want that back because they don't want Biden anymore. So I just thought that was a very interesting thing because you would probably expect Gen Z to really be in the Vivek category. But the fact that there was a very strong turnout for DeSantis probably speaks to that theory. They want young blood, but they want experienced young blood because, again, Vivek, he's a businessman with no political uh, backing whatsoever. I mean, he could say all these great things, but he's never put policy in place, so how do you know? And then, obviously, with DeSantis there, he has done so much effective work as a governor that maybe that is why that category sees it. And, I mean, you know it too. You're Gen Z. Uh, everything is so costly right now beyond just education that if there's a way to get DeSantis to bring it back pre-Biden numbers, I think maybe that's the potential they're seeing. Yeah, I mean, on your point with the COVID, I think everyone was affected, but I think the age range with people like my age going to college, it was very different. I think... I, when I was during COVID, like it was crazy. Like they would lock down, uh, if a dorm room had a COVID case, they'd lock them down for two weeks. No one was allowed to leave the building. Yeah. Like, you would have to sneak out and they would bring you food. So like a lot of people went through that and I'm sure, you know, they look at it and they're like, okay, Trump's the one that brought the lockdowns. DeSantis is one of the governors that lifted them very fast. So I think that might be a big aspect is that it's kind of a, not like a vendetta, but they're kind of like, oh, Trump kind of put this on us. And then we see Ron DeSantis in Florida. He lifted it. I think another thing is immigration's big with Gen Z because, you know, we're all starting out our lives and we see how destructive it is. You know, we look at the homes being $400,000 on average. Like, how am I going to afford a home? How am I going to get a job uh, when all these people are coming over and now we're paying for them? It's like we feel like we're kind of set up to fail. So I think that's a huge thing because Trump, I know, you know, his presence kind of stopped stuff at the border, but he never stopped it. It wasn't anything good. So when they hear DeSantis saying like, hey, I'm going to do this, I think that's more appealing to them. Right. Well, look, I mean, this is the first of a few caucuses coming up, but obviously Iowa always sets that first stage. Um, I Look, I... I'm hoping DeSantis at least kind of keeps still that second place role. My worry is New Hampshire's going to roll around next week and Nikki squeaks by. And unfortunately, that's a reality because, again, Ron's 21%, Nikki's at 19%. Uh, it, it's, it's squeaky with the two of them. So, you know, uh, Nikki's doing the whole it's a two person race thing. I still think it's a three person race. Maybe Ron pulls out strong in New Hampshire. But in, in the case of the two of them, I actually think New Hampshire could be a breaking point if DeSantis doesn't do as well. Um, but look, both of them still have to face the reality of Trump is in that position. And look, this is going to be a very big reality we all have to start thinking about now that it's kind of confirmed, okay, this man's going to be racking up the nomination. Can he win in the general election? And speaking of, uh, Biden, who technically Democrats had a uh, I put quote unquote caucus last night. It's really more of a big meeting with mail-in ballots coming in in March. But I'm telling you, they, they do things so backwards over there. But regardless, uh, Biden actually put out this tweet 
and he said, looks like Donald Trump just won Iowa. He's the clear front runner on the other side at this point. But here's the thing. This election was always going to be me and you versus extreme MAGA Republicans. It was true yesterday and it'll be true tomorrow. So if you're with us, chip in now. And then he puts a donation link. My gosh, if you won with 81 million votes, quote marks, uh, why are you asking people for money? You know, it's but talk about a very divisive tweet and statement there. I mean, you got Trump's speech, it says time to come together, and then you got you know Biden saying, uh, it's good versus evil, and I'm the side of good and Trump is evil. It's it's so played out. But I do have that fear that when it does come to the general election, I mean all the pundits were kind of mentioning it last night. There are certain demographics Trump really needs to win over. For example, the suburban woman vote. Uh, that has been a continuous issue for him. I don't know if that gets solved by picking a VP that could carry that, maybe a, a female VP. Uh, if he chooses Haley, I will be astoundingly shocked and nothing makes sense. So I don't think that'll happen. But someone like Christy Noam, uh, he looked at Joni Ernst for a while, but I think that's passed. Um, I think Carrie Lake is a little uh, too out there for him to kind of incorporate it in. So he really, I mean, he he stated that he already knows who it is. But my hope is that whoever he has in mind is someone that's going to win over that vote. Because, again, I I don't think anyone wants to deal with a repeat of Biden winning in another four years with him. I don't think we can survive. So if if Trump is now going to be likely that clear nominee, then he really, really needs to go hard on focusing in and winning in November. We got to get past the the DeSantis insults. We got to get past, I mean, he was hitting on Vivek earlier this weekend, probably just to cement the fact that he can, you know, still get the nomination and not get any uh, outside threats coming in. But, you know, that that is kind of getting past its point. I think his real current threat is Nikki Haley and her secretive rise to, you know, coming into double digits and then following that, Joe Biden. So um, this is his time to really hone in and focus in. But, you know, don't forget, he's also going to be dealing with some lawsuits this year that I, I just get a little worried if that's going to run interference. But, that's just with on Trump's uh, terms. As for Vivek, we know he's out of the race. He's going to be all Team MAGA now. He's probably going to do some hardcore campaigning on Trump's behalf. And then again, Haley with her secret rise, we really got to keep out uh, an eye out for her. And I would just urge you, the viewer, like kind of look into who is donating money to her campaign because she is so far from Republican, she might as well just be a leftist at this point. And then with DeSantis, you know, I know there's a lot of Trump fans out there and they have uh, maybe their concerns or low trust with DeSantis. But, you know, if Ron doesn't make it through, your vote should translate to Trump, not Haley. So, you know, I wish DeSantis the best. I know how well he's effectively run Florida. But if this is Trump's game, my hope is that if DeSantis does drop out in the eventual, whether it's New Hampshire or following that, as hard as it may be for him, you know, he's got to get that support behind Trump. But, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how New Hampshire plays out. And, you know, it, it's it's the start, guys. It's it's the 2024 race, and it's finally um, kind of beginning. Ryan, is there anything else you want to add uh, closing-wise before we close out here? Uh, I would just say I would agree with you on Trump's messaging. I think he's got the momentum now. I think he's going to be doing this for New Hampshire. I think he's going to do it in South Carolina. Um, so I think... I would like to see him change his messaging from not the insults on DeSantis and Haley, et cetera, and direct it more towards the general election and the independence and, you know, obviously bashing Biden. 
But I think he needs to change his messaging. He did what he sought out to do, and he pulled 51% in Iowa, and I think it's that momentum is going to carry on to New Hampshire and South Carolina. I mean, if you're a DeSantis fan in New Hampshire and you see that Trump's beating by 30 points, do you even go and vote for him at that point? It's kind of discouraging. So I think Trump just, you know, killed the competition, and I think now he needs to start directing his message towards the country. Yeah, I totally agree, Ryan. Thank you for that input. Well, guys, uh, we'll definitely keep you updated as New Hampshire happens next week, but we'll have a podcast tomorrow on probably discussing either the border or what else is happening in the news cycle because Iowa really has been taking the president here. So uh, thank you for joining. Uh, God bless our troops and all of you out there, as well as Donald Trump. And a big congratulations to him for uh, winning at extraordinary numbers last night. That can't be uh, overstated enough because I, you know, since I've been starting this, I've never seen anything like it. I'm sure those older than me have not seen anything like it either. So, you know, have a great day, everybody, and we will see you tomorrow. Get the Dennis Michael Lynch podcast every day by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and download the DML News app from the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store for breaking news, merchandise, films, exclusive content, and team DML.